Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great today, Jordan. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So here last week, I watched a movie called The Most Reluctant Convert, a movie about C.S. Lewis's life. Love C.S. Lewis. Yeah. It was really, really good. It was it, it picked up at the start of his childhood, you know, going through until he became a Christian. Mm-hmm. And he went through some tosses and turns, and it, it was an interesting movie. He really did. You know, I um, really appreciate his ministry. He's so multifaceted. So you think about mere Christianity, um, and that that was a series of radio broadcasts when World War II is going on. I mean, it's just wow. just this unbelievable truth telling in the midst of very difficult times. And and it wasn't World War II in America; it was World War II in Great Britain, which was a totally different experience yeah. uh, for the civilians and for everyone who was over there. So, uh, and then the creativity with which he wrote uh, all about Narnia. And we said before the before we started recording that this period of the year always reminds me of Narnia where it's always winter but never Christmas. <laughs> and so I'm so thankful that the days are getting longer. Yeah, and I was fascinated by the part of his life where J.R.R. Tolkien comes in and they discuss Christianity and Tolkien has a big influence in C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian. Mm. I, I love Tolkien's works, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, The Silmarillion. Um, I love the way that he thinks about the world too and that he had such a big influence in C.S. Lewis's life, who also had a huge influence, like you're saying, through the Narnia books, if not all the other books like Mere Christianity. Yeah. It, well, it's really cool. A lot of people don't realize that they were friends. Yeah. And that they they influenced one another and even had opinions on each other's work. And uh, <laughs> Tolkien felt like C.S. Lewis's Narnia was a little bit too on the nose in its gospel presentation because— Everybody gets that Aslan is Jesus, yep. you know. Yep. But but I still, you know, when I when I think of that Aslan rising from the dead, I mean, it gives me chills. So, you know, sorry, J.R. Tolkien, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, speaking of reluctant converts, today, ah. yeah, today we're looking at Second Corinthians five fourteen through twenty one to talk about engaging lostness. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. Okay, so in Sunday's sermon, which you called Engaging Lostness, you you talked about lostness. Can you define lostness for us? Yeah, so the idea is that there are basically two types of people, saved and lost. And 
that distinction is key in understanding the Christian message that there is a uh, substantial difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who have received Christ's rescue by repenting of sin and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and those who have not done that. They are uh, spiritually lost. And so when we talk about lostness, we're talking about those who have yet to repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And you talked about how in our area of the Bible Belt, it's even a little more nuanced. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, there's a danger in cultural Christianity. And uh, when you grow up in this part of the world, um, the southeastern United States, there's, there's a whole lot of cultural Christianity. And so people feel like, well, I'm a Christian because... My grandparents were Christian. My parents were Christian. We went to church on Christmas and Easter growing up. I went to church every time the doors were open. Um, There's all sorts of reasons why people feel like they're Christian, and they all emanate from a cultural understanding of church life. Uh, I grew up going to church, started going to church when I was three years old, but I did not get saved, and I'm using air quotes, to, to communicate the fact that I didn't repent of my sin and receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior until I was 12 years old. That was not the church's fault. It was my fault. I got very involved in church life, very well versed in church life, um, and really became um, a participant in religious life without embracing Jesus Christ personally. And so that's what's required. Um, and that's not to say that that 12 is too old to get saved by any stretch of the imagination. What happened for me was I finally understood the gospel that God was making an offer to me through Jesus Christ to come to him by repenting of my sin and, and trusting Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that message got through to me for the first time in a very real way when I was 12 years old. So so the danger of cultural Christianity is that for the longest time in this part of the world, it was culturally advantageous to be a part of a church. It was culturally advantageous to identify yourself as being a Christian. Well, those days are leaving quickly. Now it can be a cultural disadvantage to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a member of a church. There are people who look at those who identify with Jesus as as bigoted and uh, backward and all sorts of things that are not uh, a positive connotation. And so uh, now it costs you something in culture to identify yourself with Christ. Whereas 70 years ago, if you were going into a town and you're going to establish a business or you're going to run for office or you're going to establish a medical practice, the first thing you would do, whether you believed in Jesus or not, was to go become a part of the biggest church you could find because that would establish you as a good Christian person in America. Cultural Christianity is dying, and, and frankly, I say good riddance um, because here's the thing. You can be a cultural Christian and go to hell. You can go to church every Sunday, every time the doors are open, and go to hell. You can go on mission trips and go to hell. You, I mean, there you you can do all the things that look good um, from a church resume perspective and be disconnected from God by because you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So, um, I think that it kind of clarifies things a little bit when it's no longer culturally advantageous to identify with Christ. Yeah, I think the key word in there is repentance, like. It says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just saying things or being in the right place at the right time on Sunday mornings. It's that you've repented and you're 
actively doing the the will of God that brings you closer to Christ and into the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, you have to cross the starting line of faith. And I think, I don't remember who said it. I heard some preacher said it. That's what it is. We literally, by repenting of sin and trusting Christ, we cross the starting line of faith. Mm. Uh, We cross the starting line of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. That's not the finish line. God's still going to grow us. He's going to sanctify us and make us experientially holy. But we have to cross that starting line of faith. And just being around church people or being around church as an organization does not make me cross that starting line of faith. Repenting of sin and placing my explicit personal faith in Jesus is what gets me to cross the starting line of faith. So let's make this practical. What does it look like to engage with people who are cultural Christians as opposed to people who are not culturally Christian? So the difference between a cultural Christian and a real Christian is a cultural Christian is all about the facade, uh, all about appearances. And so uh, they're going to do their very best to ensure that they always look great. Whereas I would say someone who's actively trusting and following Jesus, who is daily repenting and believing and and trusting Jesus, is going to be more humble, (laughs) is going to um, have the regular experience of confessing their sins to Almighty God to cultivate that relationship and, and be willing to be real about we all struggle. We all struggle. Whereas those who are embracing merely a cultural form of Christianity are going to seek to maintain a bulletproof facade where they looked perfect all the time. And so I think that that's a lot of where the the criticism of church folks that there's too many hypocrites in the church probably comes from is because we can all be guilty of laboring to put on a good face, uh, to put, put our best foot forward without humbling ourselves to say, yeah, we struggle too. I struggle too. And, and I hope in my ministry, I hope every time I get up, you know, I try always to say it's not, hey, you sinners get better. It's, hey, we who struggle, we who are all in need of a Savior, we who all stumble in many ways, um, we all look to Jesus. We all lean upon Jesus and rely on Jesus together. The other thing is that the gospel is very offensive to cultural Christians. The gospel looks at all of us and says, yes, your righteous deeds that you deem to be righteous are as filthy rags before a holy God. You have nothing that makes you righteous before God. You are a sinner completely condemned, completely in need of a Savior. Your only hope of heaven is Jesus Christ. You can do nothing on your own to earn forgiveness or salvation or eternity in heaven. And that's hard for us. Because we like to earn things. We like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We like to say, look at how wonderful I am, and look at all the wonderful things I have done. And the gospel is remarkably humbling. So I've literally had people who were part of churches that I've been a part of where I've been preaching or teaching who said, you preach the gospel too much. Well, here's what's very interesting. I have found that those who understand the depths of their sin and the amazing grace of Almighty God love to hear the gospel because they know that there are other people who have not yet crossed the starting line of faith who, if they die, will go to hell, and they want them to come and have that experience of forgiveness and, and adoption into the family of God to become brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are seeking to put forth a, a, a facade of perfection don't like to hear the gospel because it's a reminder constantly that they're a sinner, in need of a savior. I don't like that. Think about Jesus's parable of the Pharisee and the publican. 
You know, they both go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, this great religious leader, looks up and says, thank you, God, that I'm not like the others, and starts listing off his resume of the things that he doesn't do and the good things that he does do. And then there's the publican, the tax collector, who won't even lift his eyes toward heaven and beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, the Pharisee in Jesus' parable was very proud of himself. Uh, Jesus had said otherwise that the the religious leaders like to dress in flowing robes and pray on the street corners that they might be admired by all who see them. But God sees the heart. He sees beyond our facade. And so my admonition to myself and to everyone is always, if God sees the heart, then maybe we should examine the heart, our own hearts, and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Um, find the offensive ways in me. Continue to, to bring me closer to you and to make me more like Jesus. So in talking about becoming more like Jesus, let's look at our passage this week from 2 Corinthians. So Paul encourages us to be ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us to the world. What are some practical steps to be Christ's ambassadors? Well, so to realize, first of all, what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone who is sent on behalf of someone else with authority granted to that person by the sender. So in other words, if we think about our, our country, we have ambassadors to every country. And what happens? Well, the President of the United States endows an, a, a representative with the authority to go and speak and act on behalf of the United States of America. So the job of an ambassador is a big deal. But that ambassador is there not to do his or her own will. That ambassador is there to carry out the will of the sovereign nation in dealing with other nations. Well, the same is true for those of us who trust and follow Jesus, and all of us who are in Christ are called to this ministry. Every single Christian is called to be an ambassador for Christ, meaning this, that we are sent with authority. Another word for being sent with authority is to be commissioned to do a task. And we think about Jesus in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. What did Jesus say? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what is he communicating? God the Father has given me, Jesus Christ, God the Son, all the authority in heaven and on earth, and now I am sending you. So all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, your job, follower of Christ, whoever you are, you don't have to have a special church ceremony, you don't have to get a paycheck from a church. If you're a Christian, your job is to be an ambassador for Christ. You have been endowed with a mission, and you have been endowed with an authority from Jesus himself to go and make disciples. Well, what does that mean? In the Great Commission, we see that there are three participles, uh, if you go back to the original Greek, that modify the primary verb, which is make disciples. So the, the chief command of the, of the Great Commission is to make disciples. How do we do that? Well, we do that by going. So we go. We, we go as those who have been sent. To be sent and not to go is to be disobedient. So Jesus has sent us, so we go. Where do we go? Well, we go to the everyday places that we go. We go to work. We go to the house. We go out in public. But we also go on mission trips. We go to serve in various places at various times. 
Secondly, we baptize. What does that mean? Well, we're proclaiming the gospel and inviting people to cross the starting line of faith and then to profess that faith by biblical baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus prescribed, um, as the first step of obedience in trusting and following Jesus. And then we teach them. And this is an important thing. We are all learners. In fact, that's what the word disciple means in the original language. I am a learner. We, as learners, engage fellow learners by teaching them what Jesus has taught us. And what has Jesus taught us? Well, we have it recorded in 66 books of the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. It is all the Word of Christ, from Genesis to Revelation. And so what do we do? We, we seek to impart the truth of God's Word, uh, mentoring, coaching, helping others trust and follow Jesus along the way. So what does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, it means to go, to, to obey the Great Commission, and to allow my life to help other people's lives see Jesus, repent of sin, come to Christ by faith, and then learn to walk according to that faith in Jesus Christ. And that'll take us into today's listener question. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, what are the first steps to engage with the lost? How can I begin to build trust with them in an untrusting society? I would say the first step is, is within yourself, and that is to pray. Um, it is a, a humbling and daunting experience to engage lostness. Lost people come in all sorts of forms, um, all sorts of thinking patterns, all sorts of pre-committed notions. But, you know, I believe that God has called each of us to carry out this mission as ambassadors for Christ because there are people that you can speak truth to who won't listen to me. And there are people that I can speak truth to who won't listen to you. There, there, there are ways that, that God communicates his gospel um, through each of us that are uniquely suited to reach certain folks. And it's just it's a beautiful thing how God orchestrates all of this. So the first step is to pray and say, Lord, give me opportunities today to talk with people about spiritual things, to have spiritual conversations. And you'll find as you pray, not only will you begin looking for those conversations, but you, God will answer that prayer. You will have opportunities to engage people in spiritual conversations. Now, it may not be that you present the gospel plan and invite them to pray to receive Christ in that moment, but it may be that you have a conversation that helps them take their next steps toward Christ. And that's a vitally important thing. Uh, the Bible talks about planting and watering and harvesting. So we got to plant the seeds of the gospel. We got to water the seeds of the gospel. And then we get to harvest uh, as people come to faith in Christ. And so it may be that your spiritual conversation is a planting conversation. Or it may be that your spiritual conversation is a watering conversation because somebody has come before and planted the seed, and now you're watering that seed. Or it may be that you get to be a part of the harvest conversation where this person repents of sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ. But, but just ask God, Lord, bring me across the paths of people that we can have a spiritual conversation focused on Christ. And he will. The next thing is this, and I think this is very important, um, particularly in our context, people are remarkably reluctant to engage with you if they feel like you're selling them something yeah. or if they feel like you're making a project out of them. If you notice in Jesus's ministry, Jesus didn't make projects out of people. 
Even when he was going to have remarkably limited interactions, just a very small amount of time with people, he told them the truth in love, but he absolutely loved them. In other words, it wasn't, oh, let me see if I can get another notch in my belt of someone who follows me. It was, I see you, I value you, I love you, I'm going to speak this truth to you, and then I'm going to give you a legitimate opportunity to respond. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus. He did not trust and follow Jesus. He would rather cling to his possessions than surrender his life to Jesus. Jesus let him go, but he loved him enough to interact with him in a very meaningful way. The woman at the well, she was antagonistic to Jesus. Jesus was crossing a cultural boundary and that men weren't supposed to talk to women without their husbands there. He was crossing uh, racial and ethnic and religious boundaries by being a Jewish man who was talking to a Samaritan woman. There was a lot of hatred between those people groups, um, and he crossed over those boundaries. And even when she was antagonistic to him, he continued to love her and to speak truth to her. And so we don't know where people are. We don't know what hurts people may have. You know, there's a whole segment of the population that we refer to not as unchurched, but as de-churched, because they went to church, and they got really hurt, so they left. And it may be that they have a very, very uh, hard exterior when it comes to talking about Jesus and things of, of Christianity, because they've been hurt before. And they need to experience the love of Christ through us before they're willing to listen to the truth of Christ through us. And so I would just say living with intentionality, asking God, Lord, open the door for me to have spiritual conversations that magnify Christ, that I can lift up Jesus, because Jesus said when he would be lifted up, he would draw all people unto himself. So for me personally, now it's different for me because I'm a pastor, and everybody knows I'm a pastor. Uh, and it usually doesn't take long for people to figure it out. So uh, I don't lead with that. Hi, I'm a pastor. But it, it just, it you know, um, you've been doing it in the same city for a while, and, and people get to know. Plus, we broadcast to a few folks, and so right. it just is what it is. You know, in dealing with people, I will tell you the most effective strategy I have is to say, how can I pray for you? Because I'm going to tell you, I've, ha- I've had atheists who were glad that someone was expressing kindness enough even to pray to a God in whom that individual didn't believe. But that opens the door for a spiritual conversation, and it softens their heart. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've never met anybody who didn't have something that they would like somebody to pray about for them. One time in visiting a hospital, uh, I was visiting a patient I didn't know. Someone had asked me to go see their family member. And this person was remarkably antagonistic to Christ, to church, to preachers, to everything. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, no. That's happened one time in 20 years. And I've visited with plenty of people who weren't Christians or didn't even believe in God. They were touched by the notion that someone would have the sympathy and the empathy to be willing to take their request to God. And so... If you're listening and you are just looking for a way to engage somebody in a spiritual conversation, what works the best for me by far is just saying, as I've, as I've started talking to somebody, hey, how can I pray for you? I mean, that can even be a server at the restaurant because they're a human, not because they're a project, but because they're a person and they're working and you want to be a good neighbor to this individual. But often conversations will open up because people are craving that sort of intimate connection 
that can come really only through that spiritual connection, that spiritual community, uh, and they may not even realize it. But offering to pray for somebody, I have found, is very um, non-threatening and opens the door for people to really say, welcome into my life, and thank you for taking an interest in me. You talked about how you should love your neighbor. I started thinking about Abraham and how he would be out in his tent, and he would literally run out to get passersby. And we, we have this in Genesis 18. He runs to greet passersby, bring them in for you know, a meal and talk to them yeah. because he loves humans. He yeah. doesn't know they're, they were angels when he was talking <laughs> to them in Genesis 18, sure. but he loves his fellow humans because he loves his neighbor yeah. because he knows humans are made in the image of God. That's right. You know, shortly after this story, we see him pleading with God to spare Sodom, which was a horrible place, a murderous place. Yeah. And he was pleading for God to spare them for the sake of an ever-dwindling number of people who are righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he loved humanity, because he loved his neighbor, he loved his fellows who were made in the image of God. Even just being in our context here in Warren County, yeah. if you can love your neighbor as yourself by seeing them as being made in the image of God like you are, that's a great encouragement to not see them as a project, but to see them as someone who's dearly beloved by God. Yeah, absolutely. And and we we legitimately want people to go to heaven. We legitimately want good things for people. I think about, I was at a restaurant in town not long ago, and, and our, the, the woman who is our server, she just started talking. And she mentioned that she had a son. I said, tell me about your son. And she teared up. All I said was, tell me about your son. I have found that people are willing to talk about their kids. They're even more willing to talk about their grandkids. But anyway, <laughs> her son had some health issues. He's this old and, and facing these struggles. And, and all I had to say was, wow, I'm, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that you're having to go through That has to be so hard as a mom. There's nothing harder than watching your kids struggle and watching your kids suffer. And, and I'm going to pray here in just a minute. Can I, would it be okay if I prayed for you and your son? And I mean, overwhelmingly, yes, pray for my son. And then, I mean, she kept coming back. You know, I was just, it was, it was this beautiful interaction. It turns out she had grown up in church, had gotten away from the Lord, had gotten away from the church, but, but she experienced the kindness of a stranger. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, look at me. Yeah. I'm saying that's what we can all do yeah. just to show love to human beings. Again, not treating them as projects. People can see that. You don't like to be treated as a project. I can't stand to be treated as a project. So we don't treat people as projects. But we take a genuine interest in human beings who are created in the image of God, and we want nothing but the best for them. And so if we can engage them in a spiritual conversation that will lead to, to them taking steps toward Jesus, man, that's huge uh, and a great opportunity for us to truly be ambassadors for Christ. So listeners, we do have an update to share about our podcast. I've just accepted a job with First Roots Design as content manager. So I'll be stepping away from my job here at First Baptist, but we're going to continue producing this podcast. Um, We're really excited for the future and where we're going with it. And with God's help, we look forward to future episodes in coming weeks. Well, Jordan, I have to tell you, I am saddened that you are leaving your job here at First Baptist Church, but you're still going to be around, still going to be here with me on this podcast. That was your idea, and I'm so thankful for that. Our new Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach will be Chad Walden, uh, who has worked under your leadership for about a year and a half, and we're excited for Chad to step into that role. Um, But Jordan, thank you for living out your faith in a way that's beneficial to others, and living out your faith particularly within the context of First Baptist Church uh, in an employment role 
I'm so thankful you're sticking around. I hate to see you go um, from an employment perspective, but we're thankful that you you're you're staying to continue this podcast, to continue walking with Jesus alongside all of us at First Baptist Church. God is good. Amen. Yep. Can you pray us out? Father, we love you, and we do thank you so much that you created each of us in your image, and you knit us together with your hands, and your works are wonderful. And that means, Lord, when we look around at a world that is hurting, of people who are trying anything they can to find answers for the pain that they're dealing with, Lord, you love them, and you call us to love them, to love them enough to get past the hard exteriors they might have put up, and just to love them with the love of Christ, to share with them the truth of Christ, and to invite them to come to Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in engaging lostness. The numbers are staggering. 157,690 human beings die every day outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know that that grieves your heart. It grieves our hearts. So help us right where we are be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to take a genuine interest in human beings. And help us, Lord, to engage in spiritual conversations that may be planting or watering or harvesting conversations, but that in every sense are helping people take steps toward Jesus. Jesus, you said that if you would be lifted up, you would draw all people unto yourself. And so help us to lift you up in every context in which we live. We ask these things trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.